Join leading executives from ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Marks & Spencer, Heineken, and many more for a dedicated day of networking and panels at the Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit at Advertising Week Europe on Thursday the 16th of May at 180 Studios in London. Panel discussions will explore how to work with UK broadcasters in brand-funded entertainment, navigating the world of compliance, IP and distribution, creator partnerships, the future of digital branded content, brand-funded podcasts, and more. Delegate tickets are available now via telecast.com forward slash events at a very special discounted rate of £350 plus VAT which also grants delegates access to more than 100 sessions at the event over all three days from the 14th to the 16th of May. Join company presidents and CEOs, founders, futurists, influencers, agencies and execs from brands including Coca-Cola, TikTok, Google, Activision Blizzard, LinkedIn, Netflix and Deliveroo. Plus, celebrities including Drive Tribe's Richard Hammond and pop legends take that. Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit in association with 53 Degrees North Media at Advertising Week Europe on the 16th of May 2024. Get your tickets now at telecast.com forward slash events and level up your knowledge and contacts in the world of brand-funded entertainment. Telecast, the TV industry news review. MIPCOM is back. And in this week's show, we preview the return of the TV industry's biggest market event, taking place next week in Cannes. And it'll be a different kind of MIPCOM this year. And to take us through some of the highlights are my guests, Lucy Smith, Director of MIPCOM and MIPTV, Frapper co-chair Jan Salling, The Bridges' Amanda Groom, and Claire Hungate, former boss of Warner Brothers TV production, Brave Bison, and now president of professional esports organisation, Team Liquid. They'll talk us through what it means for MIPCOM to return, what they'll be doing in Cannes, and what to look out for on the croissette. It's all coming up on this week's telecast. My first guest on this MIPCOM preview show is, appropriately enough, Lucy Smith, Director of MIPCOM and MIPTV. Hi, Lucy. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Justin. Great to be here. And thank you for doing a lovely MIPCOM preview. Not at all. We're very excited about coming down to Cannes in a few days' time and and seeing everybody again. And we've obviously had you on the show a couple of times when you've been trying to get the event going in in a physical form. And finally... We're back in Cannes. Can you tell us a little bit about the challenges of staging MIPCOM this year? Because this is your first live event in charge. Is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. And what I want to, to take it up on. I mean, obviously, it's been a bit of a roller coaster year. And it is the first market in a long time now. And it's the first market in two years. So it's been extremely challenging, complicated to plan with just with all of the you know, restrictions with the vaccination rollout be quick enough. And, you know, and I'm just obviously delighted to say, you know, we've made it, we will be delivering a MIPCOM, you know, that so many of us and so many of our our clients really wanted to happen. Um, And what we've been trying to do, I mean, what's been challenging is just um, being, uh, remaining flexible, speaking and staying in contact with the clients all the time to kind of help people make decisions at different times 
you know, however late it may be. But it really was all about trying to listen to clients and help them to manage their um, their decision making process, which was obviously very difficult. So what I think was the most challenging moment was we had to make the decision to go back out to all of our um, exhibitors in July and say, you know, okay, let's sort of reassess the situation. And we gave them the opportunity to rescale their presence, rescale their investment, depending on what they felt they should do at that time, you know, with a lot of international companies, whether people could travel and who could travel. And that meant sort of making a MIPCOM that was sort of better sized with the reality of their company's uh, ability to take part. And that was obviously the big big challenge and that was probably the most complex part but I'm glad to say that and thankfully we did that um, and we're very grateful to you know our clients and you know it, it, and our teams I have to say um, for working with us and making it happen it's not always been easy but we've worked together I think to make it uh, to make it happen. I mean in terms of staging a regular MIPCOM I mean the, the planning process must be probably a year long, right? Does it kind of start at the end of the previous one? Is that usually how a a normal MIPCOM comes together? You know, we have MIPTV in April. So uh, in terms of the actual organisation, there's a lot of planning that will be a year ahead. Obviously, all of the major decisions and the big structural decisions are made a year out. But then we have, you know, the same teams, for the most part, the core teams are working on the different MIP markets. So we have MIP Cancun in November, we have MIP China in June, and then the other major one, of course, being MIPTV in April. So for MIPCOM, yeah, we kind of were really in big planning mode, I'd say, from the beginning of this year. So obviously, things, you know, changed so much over that time. And that's the whole kind of roller coaster of it. One minute, it was like, yes, it's all looking, you know, hugely rosy. And we're all thinking it's going to be a huge MIPCOM. And then it was, well, actually, the situation's changing again. And that was difficult for us. It was difficult for our clients. And that's what we had to keep on you know, working with, and it was, um, you know, it was, it was challenging. I bet. I mean, because if you think about, obviously, there are certain territories and regions around the world that are now much more advanced in terms of, you know, fighting the uh, uh, the COVID pandemic. And thankfully, touch wood, a lot of us in Europe have got pretty effective vaccination campaigns that have led to us having travel restrictions pretty much dropped. But obviously, there's lots of territories that are not in that situation. Uh, You overlay that, I guess, with different sizes of businesses. So, you know, some of the smaller and medium-sized businesses, uh, physical markets are really crucial for them. They're just going to go and they just want to come. Whereas bigger companies, I guess, there's more organizational issues for them sending their staff over, you know, I suppose it's insurance and all sorts of stuff. So I can imagine just getting this show on the road and staging this uh, physical event has been a remarkable challenge, you know, and it's really great to see everybody going to be back on the croissette again. (laughs) Absolutely. Tell us a bit about the experience then, that delegates that are going to come down to Cannes next week, what they can expect. We're trying to sort of be very much about managing expectations and talking about the realities. We've been very, you know, transparent that this MIPCOM will have a a smaller footprint, that there will be a different journey. We've we've made sure that all of our lists are up on the website so everyone could see sort of, you know, who was coming and how many people were, were sort of attending, etc. And then the actual physical experience 
it's actually quite straightforward now because we've had a recent uh, one of our sister shows, one of the property markets, uh, MIPIM, took place uh, about um, two weeks ago, right? And so was able to test out the way in which we will manage our safety protocols. So the attendees will just need to show their QR code. In France, that's called the sanitary pass. So it's QR codes showing that they've got one of European approved vaccinations that will be scanned on their entrance into the Palais. We're asking everyone to print their badges before coming out because that way they don't have to worry about lining up for registration. So it's just straight to the entrance point. You you get your scan on your QR code that you've either been vaccinated or or you've had a test in the past uh, 72 hours. And then you go in and once you're in, you get a bracelet and that way you don't have to keep on queuing all day. So that bracelet lasts you a day and the next day you have to rescan and make sure your pass is still valid. Anyone who has not been able to get the uh, the right QR code for whatever reason, there is a COVID testing centre right next to the Palais that we've organised for a very quick, um, I think, you know, the, the experience showed us it's probably a sort of a 15, 20 minute time to go in, have a test and then have the QR code and come into the Palais. It went very smoothly at the last show, and that's really more or less all that's in place inside the Palais because of the changes we made to the whole format. Um, You know, as I said, it's a smaller footprint. We won't be using the minus one level. Um, As you know, we've called it in the past the bunker. The bunker Uh, is closed, yeah. Yeah, the bunker's closed. And um, so basically we're using the main floors of the Palais, as well as the the Riviera Hall. So the the floor plans now up on the website, so everyone will be able to navigate their way around. The auditoriums are being used and people will be asked to keep their masks on inside the Palais. That way, you know, the auditoriums, we don't have to put limits on the numbers of people, you know, inside because you can just come in, you wear your mask. I mean, I think it's, I feel that it's what everyone's just got so used to now. From what we're seeing, it's 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 pretty smooth, it's pretty straightforward, and we're expecting it to be like that for MIPCOM. Just a very quick question on that, because obviously the UK has left the EU, which probably was it. Was it the EU last time we were at MIP? I think it probably was. So I think it was. <laughs> yeah, so Brits coming over, they will have the NHS app. That, that will be accepted alongside the EU one. Yeah, because it's accepted as a you know one of the EU vaccinations. So um, yeah, for the UK, it'll be uh, it'll be very straightforward. So in terms of getting into a bit more detail, so and I know this is going to be different for you know the kids industry. They're going to be in a slightly different place, aren't they? So it's Riviera Seven and Eight, where essentially most of the exhibition area, the marketplaces, and uh, you know, can you tell me what's going on in Seven and Eight and how how that's going to work? The exhibition hall, so the biggest exhibition hall is Riviera 7, which will have, you know, normal stands. Companies have done their own stands. Some have done a different version than they may usually do. And there's a networking lounge with terrace areas as well in that space, because obviously with a lot of companies having decided not to build their stands, there's a hell of a lot of extra people who are going to need places to meet. So there's a networking area there too. Um, You know, for those who know the Palais well, it's very easily linked with the Palais, you know, through a pathway. And in the Palais, it's important to note that there are still stands in the level one and mainly level three 
and then level four and level five, because of course there's the big pavilions of the European producers with media. We've chosen to have the pavilions from um, all of the other territories. So there's the, the Canadians, the, the Colombians, the Belgians, um, and others up there. So there's all of the, the floors in the Palais being used as media. One have got a beautiful new space on uh, level three, and then every, most of the others then will be in Riviera seven. And Riviera 8, we've actually transformed into a beautiful events area because it's it's a big round hall that just looks out onto the, you know, the beautiful views of, of Cannes and it all opens up. We've made that into some um, networking conference and special events areas because in it, it could all be opened up. And again, people can use terraces out there. And we have another networking area there for, for, for clients to use as needed. Um, but our special events, like the opening night party, will be there as well. So it's about probably downloading the map and reacquainting yourself with the new setup. That would probably make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the exhibition booths. Most of them will be in seven. Will Riviera Seven look, other than you, you mentioned the networking area, will the actual booths be quite similar to what we're used to in terms of size and, and layout? Yeah, I think because, you know, all of the companies use the booths in a very similar way, lots of, you know, beautiful branding. And you'll probably see more smaller booths for mm. sure, because the majority of companies did choose to downsize because of the, you know, the, the, the fact they were going to be bringing less people and the international companies might not have all of their territories attending. So for sure, there are some smaller booths, but there's 145 and counting because we're getting lots of things happening over the last two weeks from, I believe it's 40 different countries. So lots of different booths coming from all of the different sectors. Some of the companies who didn't take booths have now, um, we had a small number of sort of meeting tables that people could book if they wanted their own specific space. Um, and then there's just a lot of open networking. Our priority is to make sure people have you know have space to do their meetings and make an efficient market yeah. um, as well you know it's a special market but it also needs to you know serve its purpose and let people get the business done which uh, i'm confident it will am i right in saying that it might be accelerating in terms of delegates and exhibitors coming together i mean is there a sense that decisions have been made quite late obviously with you know uh, the various different protocols people coming into MIPCOM, are you are you seeing that picking up momentum as you go into into the market itself? Yes, no, absolutely. And that's what is the most difficult thing about, you know, even being able to predict what the sort of the final, you know, numbers will be. And, um, you know, many companies who had to make the decision not to, you know, attend in a big way, we've always kept the conversations going, the dialogues going. And, you know, many of them, and now, you know, some of them making quite late decisions, um, taking part differently and, you know, joining differently, whether it's sending groups of executives. I mean, companies like, you know, Fremantle or ITV Studios or, um, you know, or Banny J, um, you know, who may have sort of decided not to do the big stands are now, you know, sending whether it be a couple or a dozen of um, execs um, to the show because, you know, I mean, this is where everyone starts getting contact saying, hey, are you going? Let's meet up. And people realizing, well, actually, we now we can travel. So, yeah, things are, are definitely continuing to come in. So uh, we're just keeping the pace going and making sure we have everything, um, you know, in place to welcome everyone and give them the, 
the market they want. I guess it's a bit like a domino effect, isn't it? When yeah. everybody's asking around going, are you going, are you going, are you going to go? <laughs> and then and then it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go. And I've actually got a load of meetings. And it's like, oh, no, you know, uh, I need to be there as well. I need to get my meetings in. Absolutely. It totally is. It's like everyone's looking to see what everyone else is doing. But I mean, you know, I've been having some conversations with some, you know, major distributors recently saying, well, listen, I've got a full, you know, I've got a fully booked diary now. So I'm just like, that's fantastic. That's what we're, that's what we've been doing. And we've been spending so much time doing these one-to-one calls with the top buyers and talking to them to just to reassure, explain what's in place, tell them what's going on. And, you know, people don't know enough because it's impossible to communicate. There's so much to say, you know, the situation in France is very, very good. It's got the highest level of it's the three top countries in the world, I think now in terms of, you know, fully vaccinated population and number of cases is so low. It will be a very safe MEPCOM. And we've now seen the experience of Cannes. There have been, you know, several events and including one of our own. And we've seen how how smoothly it can run and how safe it's been. So you've got a bit of a bit of a template. Okay. That's good. So that's the exhibit. And by the way, I was looking uh yes and it's been updated all the time, isn't it? I was looking on the on the website and looking at the attending companies and and there's you know maybe an assumption there's not many companies coming from America. But actually, there are quite a few that are making the trip over. And I noticed that A&E Networks International, they've actually got quite a big presence, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. A&E are a, a fantastic partner. And they've been, uh, you know, partners with us on the Women in Global Entertainment lunch, which they will be organising with us again on the Monday. And also they're a partner on the Diversify TV Excellence Award, which is also happening. Now, I do also know that they've got a lot of the uh, European offices as well attending. But yeah, no, absolutely. We've, we do have, um, you know, some of the, the US companies um, taking part and that's that's fantastic. I've actually got, yeah, some exciting news we just have been announcing as well about another major US companies. We can get to that. Let's just look at the highlights of the market. Now, we've got some guests on the show this week who are going to be moderating panels and running events. We've got Jan Salling coming on. We have Amanda from The Bridge. And we've got Claire Hungate, who's involved in the eSports bar as well, which is running in in parallel with the event, which is, I think, the first time that's happened, isn't it? Yes, eSports bar is um, generally takes place separately so esports bar is taking place on the 13th to the 15th of october so it's actually on the the wednesday and will be taking place in the palais so i think that's wonderful you've had uh, claire hungaters you know being interviewed as well you know it's so important that we sort of talk a bit about um, how sort of the media industry and esports what they can learn from each other and all of the mipcom delegates will be able to attend esports bar conferences, which start as of the Wednesday afternoon. Right. So, uh, yes, and it's the first time it's happening at MIPCOM, which is kind of exceptional because of what happened this year. And it's actually going to be moving alongside MIP TV next April, and that's going to be uh, more of a long-term move, which is great. We're very excited about it. There could be real opportunities for a different type of MIPCOM for delegates to maybe take something else out of it rather than just having their maybe you know three days of back to back half an hour meetings they may have an opportunity actually to go and observe and have a look at esports and see what you know what synergies there might be because i think there are potentially quite a few there tell us about the other highlights then of the market what else outside the booths and the meetings what about the actual conference sessions what are the highlights delegates can look forward to 
where do I start? There's always, as with any MIPCOM, even with, you know, this year is no exception, all of those sort of special, you know, all those ingredients that go into making MIPCOM special will be rolled out. So we have actually got a major new uh, event happening, which is an international premiere screening of Star Trek Prodigy, which is the new animated series by Nickelodeon and CBS Studios Eye Animation Productions which is sort of new and targeting some of the younger audiences. And that's actually, we just announced that, you know, a couple of days ago, and it's taking place uh, in the Palais, in the Grand Auditorium. So that we're very excited about. The conferences, we've actually, you know, we have our MIP Game Changers keynote, which take place at each MIPCOM. And one of the highlights on uh, the Monday, it's the Women in Leadership keynote and there we have um, a wonderful lineup with Bibian Godfroy, who's the CEO of New End Studios, and Alex Mayon, the CEO of Channel 4, with Bushra Rajani, who's the founder of We Make. That's taking place on the Monday and will be followed by the, as I'd mentioned, the Women in Global Entertainment traditional lunch, which is in its uh, 10th anniversary. Later on the Monday, we have the Variety Vanguard Award, which Anders Jensen, the CEO of NENT, will be receiving this year. And he'll also be interviewed in the keynote session, uh, which is something to look forward to. With their rollout, that's really going to be very interesting what's going on with their business. That'll be a, a, a packed event, I would have thought. As will be the Global Streamers keynote series. So we've got that happening on the, uh, the Monday afternoon as well, where we have Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Pluto TV, Viaplay, and, you know, I think, you know, given all the changes and the rapid acceleration of everything that's going on in the industry, that's definitely a must attend on uh, Monday afternoon. What about on the Wednesday? Anything that we should sort of make a notes in our diary for in particular on Wednesday? The kind of big, big happening kind of event is the Diversify TV Excellence Awards are taking place on Wednesday. On the Wednesday afternoon, they'll also be live streamed. We'll be awarding, so with Variety, the Variety Creative Change Award, which um, we've been partnering on, being presented to Riz Ahmed, which is very exciting. And the Master of Ceremonies is going to be a very cool kind of rising star from France called Salif Sissé. I think you're all going to hear about because he's joining a big Netflix original next year. And the, the Diversify TV Excellence Awards are in their fifth year. They're supported by some incredible charities. There are 24 finalists in eight categories. And that's going to be a really, you know, a big event. So that I hope that a lot of people will be able to take the time to support something that's so important, you know, in the industry right now. There's so much going on because there's also, you know, what we find really important is giving context to different communities to also, you know, meet together and have kind of not sort of closed door, but just opportunities to get together and network. And we're working with, uh, we work very closely with Frapper and doing the Frapper Summit. So I know you're speaking to Jan Salling, who's the co-chair of Frapper. So we're working with them on a lovely program, which will bring together that community on uh, the Monday. And then we've been working also on, on a drama meetup and sessions with Entertainment Masterclass. Again, bringing together a community to talk about, you know, just some of the most important important things happening around, you know, streaming and original content production. So, yeah, no, mass is going on. And I know I'm, you know, obviously not even mentioning everything because it's impossible, but that's some of it. Oh, yeah. And one other thing, actually, I did want to mention, Justin, is um, 
MIP Junior. So, we, you know, what's happening on MIP Junior is, you know, as we had announced before, we've brought MIP Junior kind of into the Palais because we really felt that we needed to do a more sort of compacted event and not sort of have people necessarily needing to stay over so long. And we've got some, you know, some exciting sessions happening there. I'm, I'm particularly interested to hear about, you know, BBC Kids are going to present with Patricia Hidalgo and her team with Sarah Muller and and the team just talking a bit about what's been happening over the past year. And that will be a really good opportunity for everyone to catch up. And of course, we have a pitch, you know, we have the Mick Junior pitch, which we have every year. And I, there are some really exciting, you know, shows being uh, being presented there. Going back to something you mentioned earlier on, the party. <laughs> it's not all about conference and not all about pitch meetings. There's also networking is absolutely key. And this year, you mentioned it's actually going to be in the Palais, the opening party. Absolutely, yeah. We'll be opening up the big um, new space that we've installed and designed in the Riviera 8 and making it so it becomes this beautiful Riviera Hall. And it'll be starting immediately after the the exhibition opening hour, so from 7 on the Monday evening. And it'll be just open bar, lots of food, looking out onto the Mediterranean and the boats out on the sea. Might be about time for sunset. I'm not sure. I have to check the the timing on that. Um, And with a DJ, and we know that everyone's going to be just so happy to get to see each other again and have a, you know, raise a glass and try and sort of put some of the the bad memories behind us and just really enjoy what these shows like MIPCOM and CAN are all about. A huge surge in demand for rosé then there'll be on the Monday <laughs> night on the on the top of the Palais. Absolutely. Lucy, I'm really looking forward to seeing you down in Cannes in a few days' time. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your incredibly busy schedule and we will see you for that uh, glass of rosé. Absolutely. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Justin. We'll look forward to welcoming you down to the fun and excitement and business hopefully the serendipity and sunshine that can can deliver. Look forward to seeing you. My next guest is Claire Hungate, former Warner Brothers TV production CEO in the UK and boss of Brave Bison, and now president and COO of the professional esports organisation Team Liquid. Welcome to the show, Claire. How are you? Thanks, Justin. I'm doing really well, thanks. And yourself? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm really looking forward to getting down to MIPCOM in a couple of days' time. Are you a regular at MIPCOM? Do you did you tend to go when you you know time at Warner's and Brave Bison? Not at Brave Bison. So in the shed days, obviously, you know the heydays um, when you could drink rosé at midday yes. on our little our tiny little yacht. That was always great fun. Uh, <laughs> when we became part of Warner Brothers, it all became a bit more serious, and drinking rosé at midday wasn't uh, wasn't really approved of. Um, so it started going less in those days, actually. And really, since I've left Warner, I haven't I haven't been at all. So I don't think I've been. And since MIP TV 2017, so yeah, looking forward to walking the Quisette again. It's fabulous that you've come on the show just to give us a little flavour of what you're going to be doing down there. And and before we talk about that, tell us about your new role and about Team Liquid, because from where I'm standing, it seems to me like a, a really natural progression in terms of your career going from TV and then to digital and into this really burgeoning new market, or relatively new market, in esports. But tell us about your new role, why you took it and what you're going to be doing and more about Team Liquid too. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, I suppose the the, the kind of narrative I, I put through my career is is following the audience. 
so, you know, I became a, a bit frustrated with kind of failure, uh, certainly of the linear TV world, to accept that it had lost the younger generation. And of course, you know, TV ratings aren't falling for, for linear, aren't falling off a cliff because we're a very aging population. Some ridiculous statistic, isn't it? Like 60% of the BBC audience is over 60 years of age or something. You know, don't quote me on that exactly. Uh, and, and even Channel 4 or E4, which is considered, you know, a youth channel, its average age is over 40, I think, E4. I just kind of became quite frustrated with this kind of failure to to address this movement of the audience, which is why I moved into social media and joined Brave Bison, because I wanted to understand that audience, what engaged them, how you told stories to that audience and, and, and on what platforms they wanted to, 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 to watch them and hear them. And also, you know, for me, my main interest is monetizing the audience because I'm a, I'm a commercial beast. Uh, and that's what's so fascinating about gaming for me. So, you know, I think, you know, Reed Hastings, CEO of Netflix, very famously said that, you know, his biggest competitor is not other networks or even other SVODs. It's the gaming world. You know that that's where young people are are spending their time and and engaging online. So you know that that's why it's so fascinating to me. It is that movement of the younger audience uh, away from linear TV. Yeah, and this is this is really about attention, isn't it? It's the attention economy. It's the attention wars that we're going to go into now when you've got all of these huge entertainment businesses and linear TV is competing against social media, as we know that, but also with esports and and various different parts of the media spectrum that are demanding our attention. And and we know that esports is is hugely growing. Before we talk about esports in general, tell us about Team Liquid and the organisation that you've joined. Yeah, so um, Team Liquid are one of the biggest esports teams in the world. They call themselves the most winningness or winningest uh, <laughs> esports team in the world, which means they have greater uh, tournament winnings than any other team. You know, you talk about esports e being quite recent. Well, you know, they're 21 years old but you know it is still a very much a kind of an emerging emerging market we're a multi-generational sports team so you know our, our our audience is overwhelmingly young but we we can also skew a bit older because we have been going for for 21 years and so those people that are with us 21 years now their kids are with us as well. We were founded in the Netherlands, but uh, we also have big operation in the US. We have operations and teams in Brazil. Uh, and, you know, China is a, a, a big area of focus for us also. So we compete in um, about 15 games. So the biggest ones, of course, are you know, things like League of Legends, Counter-Strike, Dota, Valorant. Um, and, you know, esports, for those who don't know, is professional organized video gaming and that's something that happens in real life in you know in massive stadiums and it also happens online and i guess the kind of big watershed moment that's always cited for the for the emergence of you know esports as a kind of major media and entertainment denominator is the 2013 league of legends uh, world's final which took place at the Staples Centre. Uh, there were 15,000 people in the stadium, but 32 million people watched that online and on TV, which is just an incredible number. Yeah, I've just had a, a quick look online, and uh, the Fortnite World Cup 
a couple of years ago had a $30 million prize fund, which is extraordinary. So it's, you know, it's really challenging traditional sports when it comes to not only prize funds, but also this new audience that are tuning in online and presumably in some TV channels in some territories actually focus on this alongside traditional sports. The kind of comparator to, to real sports is is really interesting because I guess the thing about esports is that it's endemically digital. You know, it is by its very nature direct to consumer. And so, you know, you have this media industry now that's desperately trying to have a direct to consumer relationship and struggling to do so. But the great thing about esports is that we have that naturally. That's that's how it all occurred. But, you know, the great comparator that is always made to sports is that with sports teams, the fandom kind of comes regionally, you know, so you might be a sports team based in a particular area and, you know, Manchester United or whatever. And so people are supporters of that team. Uh, and what's happened in esports is because of that kind of direct interaction and because, you know, esports started with kind of streamers streaming on on Twitch and on Discord uh, and talking directly to their fans is that you get people who are fans of the players. So it's more player orientated than than team orientated, whereas sports is more team orientated. And I suppose, you know, sometimes that uh, is kind of reflected in the in the business models around it. But, you know, whereas now you see traditional sports desperately trying to form that director to consumer relationship and previously maybe they've ignored it a little bit because the value of media rights has been so huge you now see potentially the value of those media rights either reducing or or leveling off a bit and so they need to Mm. find revenue elsewhere and are trying to form that direct to consumer relationship whereas in esports the media rights isn't as valuable at the moment and most of that is tied up with publishers but you do have that direct to consumer relationship so you know they're kind of inverse there but you know still Mm. you know we call our players athletes you know they train really really seriously these are games of skill strategy and mastery you know in the same way any sport is and what i think is fascinating about it is that you know it's it's open to all isn't it regardless of physical disability and and gender as well you know it's it feels to me really really inclusive as a sport and as a uh, pursuit you know because and it's strategic but also it, it's highly skilled isn't it you know you do reach really diverse audiences with gaming because sometimes people go to gaming because of that that very diversity that they don't they don't feel like they're mainstream or they don't want to take part in in sports for kind of whatever reason and so you know it is a a really interesting diverse audience having said that it's it's overwhelmingly male that uh, brings up lots of issues for for the gaming industry and and for esports in terms of team liquid so you said you've got players that you essentially manage do you do you actually manage are you the agent for players and these teams and you manage their image rights and decide if they're going to play in a particular tournament or not we're not agents for those players. A lot of them will have agents or managers. They sign to us as players and we take particular rights for them, you know, such as media rights uh, and, you know, often sponsorship rights, etc. So they'll work with us and our, our, our sponsors in promoting those sponsors. They play for us and usually they will stream on our on our channels on Twitch, etc., 
but we we are not their managers. No, most most of them will have separate managers. But and you mentioned brands as well. I mean, I think Coca Cola are getting involved in uh, in gaming. Presumably, a lot of brands that are looking to target this, as you say, predominantly male young audience, which is obviously you know it's a, it's a dream audience that uh, that the TV industry has sort of lost a little bit. So what I find really fascinating about the you know audience in general, but you know di- di- really good quality digital audiences, and that's what's so incredible about the the gaming audience, is that it's an organic audience. You know we haven't paid for this audience. Mm. This is an audience that willingly come hour after hour, day after day, week after week to engage in our content, in our players' content, in our team's content. And that kind of loyalty and passion and engagement is something that you just can't pay for. Uh, and obviously that demographic, which is overwhelmingly, you know, kind of Gen Z and millennial, it is hugely valuable to to partners. So, you know, the the, the business model at the moment is very skewed towards sponsorship and uh, and advertising revenue and obviously that's one of the things we want to even out because you don't really want a business that's too dependent on on advertising revenue so you know diversifying those revenue lines as the industry matures is you know one of the things that I'll I'll specifically be looking at as you mentioned earlier on it's a digital first um pursuit so actually the data that you must have is absolutely key and and super valuable in terms of you know targeting and being able to build those other revenue streams because it it's all there you've got all that information you know one of the things i'm going to be talking about at esports bar um you know at the same time as uh, mipcom which is, it's another a read midem conference is about innovation uh, and actually, one of the things, one of the things that we have been developing is a fan engagement platform of our own called Liquid Plus. So, you know, obviously, the big rub of having this kind of huge funnel, which is called social media, which is how the majority of your audience will find you, is that you don't own any of that data. And the data you get access to is incredibly limited. You don't control any of the algorithm. So, you know, the algorithm changes and, you know, you might be in serious trouble. So once you have that really, really highly engaged organic audience, where can you take that audience? Well, where you want to take that audience is to your owned and operated platforms, because on those owned and operated platforms, obviously you can store and analyze, and as you say, use that data. So Liquid Plus is something that we have developed in-house. It's bespoke technology that we've developed in-house, and it is a fan engagement platform where we encourage people to register, to take part in, in various quests, which involves them you know, consuming content on various different social platforms, and those quests win them points. And those points can then be exchanged for goods or experiences. And, you know, the most highly rewarded or the people with the most points get to get their names on the back of the players' jerseys. So, you know, they might see our League of Legends team competing in uh, Worlds this year with their name on the back of the jersey, which is obviously, you know, the, the, the kind of tribal fandom we're dealing with here is just a huge prize. When it comes to this event running parallel and uh, almost uh, under the MIPCOM banner, I mean, t- the TV industry and esports, uh, a long time ago, I worked within the video games industry. And 
And I know that the video games industry, even the, the size it was with you know Microsoft and Sony and all the big console businesses plowing billions into competing for attention in the living room. I always remember that, you know, that TV sort of looked down its nose a little bit at video gaming, even though video gaming was bigger than the film industry still is, and obviously much, much bigger now, much more international now when it when we talk about esports. Do you think, I mean, what's the future for esports and TV? I mean, can we see a major network taking rights to televise a world's event, for example, and, and some of the key markets? Does that happen already? I don't have all the answers to this, but I guess, you know, it's what I think about when, you know, you see the BBC investing millions of pounds, putting BBC Three back on a, a, a linear platform. Mm. You know, it's kind of why are you trying to take that audience away from the platforms where they exist, where they want to exist, to a platform where they don't want to be? Is that the right thing to do? Will that work? Uh, And so, you know, that kind of very idea of trying to take people, that audience, away from their native platforms to linear TV, I don't think that works. I don't think the experience is the same for them. You know, the you know the the number of things that they are doing at the same time, the chat, it's all about the chat. And you know that chat is full of code and a vocabulary that you know we, we just don't understand. So, you know, it is that interaction that you know it's so democratic esports. You can talk online to your favorite player and they will respond to you. You can send them a message on Discord and they will respond to you. And you just don't get that experience on linear TV and it currently can't be replicated. You know, and that's not to say that that experience won't change over time or that you know linear tv's ability to be interactive and to you know have that direct relationship won't change but at the moment it's not the same and so it's hard to see how it translates exactly you know but that said that league of legends match and other matches you know are are shown on tv in the states mainly and are available on on VOD platforms uh, around the world, and and people do watch them because people want to watch them on big screens. Yeah. Um, but I guess there's a difference between you know just watching something on a screen isn't watching linear TV. So you know we, we shouldn't shouldn't mix those two things up. So it's a difficult one, and it's interesting to see you know how how it evolves. So you're going to be doing a keynote at the eSports Bar, and that's going to be on Wednesday, the 13th of October at 2.30. Can you just give us a a very brief snapshot of what you'll be covering off in your keynote? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a, a, a kind of sharing of information to be done, isn't there? You know, what can esports and you know emerging industries like esports that are still, you know, struggling with business models learn from legacy media and there is a lot because history tells us that it will follow some of those paths and those business models that tv and film followed you know in terms of media rights and financing and dealing with talent you know lots of that is exactly the same and the you can see the value chain is is similar as well 
but lots of it also is very different. So you then, you know, turn that on on its head and look at legacy media and see, you know, what they can learn from from esports. And there is just a, a kind of huge meld of, of of media at the moment, isn't there? And you know, what comes out at the other end will be very different. So you know, you see US studios now desperately struggling with how you go direct to consumer and having to completely change their business models and their skill sets. Um, and, you know, whereas I said uh, earlier, you know, esports is endemically direct to, direct to consumer. So, you know, we, we have all that knowledge about um, having that relationship with, with your fans and engaging an audience. You know, we, we have a huge team of people who are, engaging with audience on a you know on an hour by hour basis you know reacting to people answering questions you know that that kind of tribal fandom which social media kind of revolves around these passionate niches you know and it's all about taking a niche and making it global we you know tv can learn can learn so much from that so you know i think there's kind of give and take on on either side there in terms of what one can learn from the other you know, there are some some of the issues i'll be talking about it's going to be really fascinating. And hopefully, you know, at this MIPCOM, which is going to be a different type of MIPCOM, then I think this is a great opportunity for people to come along and, as you say, you know, uh, see what they can learn from esports and perhaps network with some delegates that they might not have the opportunity to meet and, and see what they can learn from each other. So that's uh, 2.30 on Wednesday, the 13th of October. I'll be there. Look forward to seeing your keynote. Thank you, Claire. Thanks for joining us on telecast and i'd love you to come back and we'll do a special esports show where we can get into more detail about you know this and it's going back to this thing that i think is really fascinating is the attention economy and where we're all moving to and you mentioned legacy media it's really interesting to think about linear tv in that way so thanks again claire and uh, we'll see you in can you're welcome look forward to uh, yeah seeing you on the quasette cheers justin so my next guest on this week's show, this MIPCOM preview show, is an old friend of Telecast, Frappers co-chair and BBC Studio Nordics, Jan Salling. Jan, how are you? Welcome back to Telecast. Hi, Justin, and hi, everyone listening. It's a pleasure to be back. Yeah, and it's a pleasure to be back, I guess, in the in the context of MIPCOM starting next week. We're going to be back in person doing business can't wait to get down there to can again and and meet the uh, old boys network that i've accumulated over the past 30 years and in the last 54 mips i have attended wow so, 54 54 mips yeah when i was calculating i st- started out in the <laughs> early early 90s and i've been down there twice a year except for of course uh, the past two years where there's been no mip and, and that has been something that has been greatly missed by me and and not only me, I think. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that we've made it happen and we've made it work in in these last few months, but knowing that it's not ideal and not an ideal scenario, but we're all going to be flying down or driving down or going on the train or getting there predominantly from Europe. Lots of American Delegates going to be there and others from around the world, but I think predominantly it's going to be European delegates and exhibitors. How's your experience been of the last year then, Jan? Last time you were on the show, it was actually a few months before MIPCOM 20 was meant to happen. And we were discussing 
what would happen if MIPCOM didn't take place. Mm. And, you know, we were really hoping it would. It didn't. Everybody kind of got by. But I think it really opens your eyes to how important physical business is. Yes. You know, no. And now we all felt miserable when MIPCOM 20 didn't happen. And now, thank God, MIPCOM 21 will happen. And I'm really, really happy about it and looking forward to it. And, and as you say, Justin, we all got through it uh, because we had to. And it's kind of scary sometimes how fast you adapt to new, harsh life circumstances and, and get used to everyday Zooms and being efficient on Zooms and packing your meetings on Zooms and uh, not spending or wasting sometimes time on commuting from meeting to meeting. So it, it seems incredible. And, and, and as we talked about last time, the new technology and all the uh, resources and, and investments that are put into working to get that to work seamlessly has really paid off. And I think we're going to use that technology going forward. Uh, but I do hope and I do think that it will be using that technology to be efficient in your everyday work and get to see people, even though it's through the screen, in, in a seamless and efficient way combined with meeting people in real life as well uh, that is certainly what i'm what i'm hoping and uh, and uh, and here in the nordics as you might know we are in a, in a good place when it comes to vaccinations and covid all the restrictions in the nordics have been lifted there is not a single restriction left so i have in august late august i attended the danish tv festival 950 attending that one wow which was osmos you know gave me not COVID anxiety, but gave me almost social anxiety. Because <laughs> you got to, you, you, it was people you haven't met for 18 months, you know, so just to be walking around and saying, hi, how are you doing? And even hugging and, and shaking yeah. hands, not elbowing or doing anything else, uh, COVID yeah. ridiculous, but real handshakes and real hugs was fantastic. But I got so socially exhausted that the second day of, of, of that fantastic conference, I had to uh, go down to the car park and just sit in my car for half an hour with closed eyes and just chill out and breathe because it you was. You had to have a moment. You had to take I, a moment. I, I just had to have a moment of, of you know of peace and quiet, which was almost scary. So I said, "Shit, what has happened yet?" You know. Yeah, let's not underestimate what we've all been through. And I remember again last time you were on. I remember you telling me about the Danish TV singing competitions that were going on and getting like 50% audience share as everybody was getting through that. Yes. So it's, yeah. you know, it, it, if we cast our minds back to those dark days of lockdown, it was quite extraordinary how things did change on a societal basis. And now we're coming back, we're going to be able to shake people's hands if we're comfortable doing that and yeah. looking each other in the eye i think is the important thing isn't it and uh yeah, it's a new way to be together you know and, and again as you say shake hands if you want to you know the the new social pattern from the tv festival and and again i just spent two days in stockholm running from meeting to meeting physical meetings and you know mm. the new social rules if you will is you know you simply ask people you uh, you know, I want to shake hands or don't you want to shake hands? And some people say, I'd rather not. And you respect that. And some people said, I'd love to. Yeah. And and that's okay. Yeah. 
So, uh, so, so we are getting back to normal, but we still have that, you know, distancing and, and respect for people's various barriers. And I think going back to MIPCOM very, very soon is going to be exactly the same. You know, there will be people down there that we will meet and want to hug, but they wouldn't be feel comfortable yeah. about that or even shake hands. And we just need to respect those boundaries and get by, but it will still be great yeah. to be back in Can Absolutely. So, so tell me about... What Frappers doing at MIPCOM this year, Jan? Yes, uh, this year we we are partnering with Read Medium, and we are really happy about that. We've made a super good partnership agreement with Read Medium to support getting MIPCOM back on its feet. So on the Monday from nine fifteen to eleven fifteen, we will have the Frapper Summit, which we usually have on Sunday nights. We will have that at the Marriott Beach. And the Frapper Summit is uh, is open for everybody with a MIPCOM batch. And uh, it is uh, half an hour of networking and mingling with uh, the prestigious Frapper board members, which can sometimes be hard to access and get meetings with if you're not in already doing business with them or have a high-profile company. Uh, so this is for the next-generation producers, the next-generation uh, up-and-coming production companies. They can get close to uh, format veterans and, and heavy waiters in the format industry. And there will be one-hour session where where Julien de Groot from uh, Thiervin will give a speech on what Thiervin is looking for. Uh, uh, Carlotta Rossi Spencer from the Banerjee Group yeah. will do the same to say what Banerjee is looking for and how you get to work with and for Banerjee, what the rules are and what the entry points are, to be very hands-on and concrete. And then we will have uh, David Giarmella from K7 Media, who will give a what's hot and what's not. So to give sort of our producers uh, some tangible good information on uh, on what is trending right now and what is available out there and not tied up with the big uh, super indies and might be available for our independent producers attending the uh, Frappa Summit. And after that, we will have another half an hour of more networking and exchanging business cards and setting up coffee meetings afterwards. That is the Monday. And on the Tuesday, we have kind of a similar, but it's only a one-hour thing also in the morning. Uh, it will be a one-hour thing where, where you have to um, to sign up for it through the, the Frappa website or through Read Medium. And it will be sort of speed networking, again, with Frappa board members, but also friends of Frappa. So Tim Crescenti from Small World, Avia Mosa, uh, will be there as well to be, you know, uh, to be taking questions and giving advice and, uh, and all kind of thing for speed networking and speed dating, if you will. Uh, among up-and-coming producers and and veterans. If you want to access those executives, then it's go on the Frapper website or on Read Medem's MIPCOM website. Exactly. And, 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 and Read Medem has actually, oh, as a last thing, Justin, in this partnership, Read Medem has generously offered 25 MIPCOM badges for any new Frapper member. So again, as you know, uh, Frapper's mission is to educate and support uh, protection of IP, but it's also to help the newcomers to the industry, you know, become something and, and help them network and build their businesses. So if they can't afford the 1,200 euro uh, MIPCOM badge, they can become a 500 euro Frapper member 
and then get a free badge. Right. Okay. So uh, that is, you know, that is a, you know, a perfect example of a win-win. It's good for Read Medium, and it's definitely good for Frappa. And we can do more, as you know, in our nonprofit organization, spend that money on doing more good for the industry. Right. How do you see the the format industry having developed over the last year or so? What's been the impact of what we've been through in formats? I mean, has that accelerated format development? I mean, has it meant that networks around the world have, have become more risk averse and and they're going more for the you know tried and trusted formats that they've seen been successful in other territories, or is it been the opposite? How how, how do you see it? I, th- I think in in the past eighteen months to two years, I think as you as you know and as you say, Justin, uh, the the channels and the streamers have been very risk averse, also because of you know nobody had has had tried this pandemic before, you know, so nobody knew the impact and the full impact, and everybody was very careful about it and monitoring the situation on a daily basis, and and we are, when you are in that situation you you will become risk averse whether you're a broadcaster or a, a, a normal citizen and and i think uh, that that has definitely been the trend in the past years across the globe we've seen a lot of recommissioning of good safe uh commissions and even if they haven't performed super well they have still been recommissioned because it was safer than to try something completely new in such an uncertain world and everything but what we also know and what we also hear from uh, almost all the producers we speak with on a daily basis is that there has been shit loads of good development work being done in the past year because they had nothing else to spend time on. And so I think we will see a flood of great ideas, uh, well worked through, well thought through, relevant for the marketplace, relevant for society, relevant for the globe climate change format that are relevant you you know you will see a lot of uh, great ideas uh, entering the market if not at this mipcom then definitely around mip tv if there will be a mip tv next year or mipcom next year we will see a flood of great formats uh, that is hitting the market going forward i'm sure of it right well that's that's really interesting because i also remember one of the other things we discussed when you were last on or i think the time before that was the lack of new ideas that we'd seen in the preceding couple of years, I think, at, at the key markets, they didn't seem to be those breakout hot formats that that we used to see accelerating. You know, the the super formats. There didn't seem to be any new ones, other than the Masked Singer. I think was probably the one example of that. That's interesting. So you think this super development, you know, session that uh, that the industry's had over the last year should bear fruit it will and i you know and uh, you know positively looking at what has happened because you know we can't change it anyway justin so might as well look at it in a positive way i think perhaps we as an industry you know it was good that we had a shock and a shake-up and a kick in the butt through the pandemic you know and made us think out of the box it was good it was been it's going to be fruitful it was good of us because many of us especially uh, us that are referred to as veterans who, you know, attending the MIPS and, and other markets so many times, we kind of had a tendency to fall into cliches when, you know, where just to seem super bright and super intelligent and Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all, 
we well, the only thing we could come up with after the markets was oh, nothing really interesting, nothing exciting, no new stuff, same old, same old. Because, you know, uh, it might be right. It might also be that we just didn't see it or didn't give a shit or didn't pay attention or, you know, we were just too slow or risk averse or something. So to give us all as an industry a kick in the butt uh, and, and, and put the industry on pause and have us think about what we are doing, why we are doing it, how we are behaving, how we are treating the planet, how we are treating each other, the necessity of personal contact and not only Zooms, you know, which has come vital to all of us and give us a pause, you know, and a break from those cliche, I'm so busy, I'm so fantastic, I'm so important kind of uh, cliche work. I, I think it's going to, it's been good on that note. From a motivational perspective, I think there's nothing, I guess there's nothing that motivates you more with the, than the, the threat of your business disappearing and having lots of time to actually sit down and go okay where are we going where are we you know where's where where are we all going and uh... and and why 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 am i doing the things i'm doing and 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 why am i doing exactly them in this way could it be done in another way do we have to be so many employees should we be more employees you know am i that important uh, or is somebody else in my organization organization even more important no, it's, it's been good, I think. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing those, and, I, and I'd love to see some some entertainment that puts climate change, as you say, and sustainability center stage that, you know, that becomes something that is a positive educational message without preaching and something that's genuinely engaging. I think consumers are ready for something like that, don't you? And you will see it because um, just this afternoon, we uh, closed the deal, BBC Studios closed the deal with one of the major channels here in Denmark for a climate change format, which is exactly that, motivational and relevant. And that will hit the screens uh, early next year. Are you going to be presenting that down at MIPCOM as well, Jan? No, I won't be presenting it at MIPCOM because that's way too early for the channel. They want to hold it you know, a bit closer to themselves until uh, we are closer to a TX. But if there is a MIP TV, it will definitely be on, 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 on the list there. And it's already spread around that this is going to happen. So we already have interest from France, Germany and Australia on this one. I think we are onto something good. And, and you know, me being an old hippie, as you know, I think having this climate change format and, and brought to life is something that is important to me personally. And I also, of course, hope it's going to be good business at the end of the day and spread around the world to do more good on a global scale. Uh, you heard it here first. Yeah, the millions of listeners <laughs> on telecast. You heard it here yeah. first. Well, brilliant. Well, I, I look forward to seeing that. And I look forward to seeing you down on the cross-site. Now, Jan, are we hugging or are we shaking hands or are we fist bumping? We are definitely hugging. Just before we order that that bottle of rosé, we hug. That's a deal. I will see you there. Yeah, you'll have to come down to our uh, telecast come together drinks party we're having on Sunday night at Brown Sugar. Invite me. I will be there. Jan, thanks so much for your time. Really look forward to seeing you. It was a pleasure. See you in Cannes. 
My next guest on our MIPCOM preview show is The Bridges' Amanda Groom, a regular at the market, and now, well, you could say regular on uh, telecast. It's your second appearance. Welcome back, Amanda. How are you? Thank you, Justin. Look, I'm terrific, and I am really looking forward to a real-world MIPCOM. Uh, There's nothing quite like actually being with real people and I think there will be a great deal of excitement as uh, people actually come together. You know, our bags are packed. We're nearly on the planes out there. We're all heading to Cannes. So it, it, it feels good to be going back, doesn't it? Look, there's a, there's a very interesting thing that we've all been doing working digitally and that is acceptable. Uh, and there's no question about that. We've done it all. We've adapted really well. There is something, though, about creativity that people need to be together. When you're actually on your computer, really, subconsciously, most of us are thinking, oh, how soon can I get off this call? When you're there in real person, be it sharing a coffee, a rosé, glass of rosé, whatever it is, there's a, a very special, very unique creative spark that happens. And I really do believe that that happens in person. Whilst digital is vital now for all of us, and, and particularly for those who can't can't physically get to France, people who are there in Cannes will be particularly animated and creative and dying to speak to each other and to come up with ideas, which is, after all, what our business is. You know, the mechanics of business can go on, and we've found that. Yeah, that's fine. We can have initial conversations about budgets and we can have uh, conversations about logistics and the sort of the bare bones of the business. But as you say, TV and the content industry is fueled by creativity and creative people sparking off each other and and that chemistry. And you, we've spoken to so many people over the last few months through the depths of lockdown. I think a lot of people have been saying, yep, yep, business as usual, It's everything's fine, everything's going really well. And it's like, yeah, well, that, that might be the case, but actually... It's an interesting thing, that, because there are various, even senior execs now coming out saying, no, business is not fine being done remotely. And I actually love that because the genuine story is that business is very different in person. And our business is a person-to-person business. When we are pitching a show, you can only do it to a certain level through the computer. When you're actually there in person, your body language, your laughter, your shared emotions as you're pitching, all of that comes 100% real in person. So whilst you're, you're, you're right, Justin, we have all adapted, we have all done it, but I'm personally rather sceptical about the companies who say they can pitch just as well through digital, because certainly I can't, and certainly a lot of the people when I'm receiving pitches, there is nothing like seeing the passion in the real person as they are actually pitching their great idea. How has it affected your business not being able to 
come together in in person? To, to be perfectly honest, it's been really, really challenging. Most of all for the bridge, because Asia business is done face to face. It is done sitting in a room, usually drinking ridiculous quantities of soju or whatever, which um, which I'm not actually that that resilient to. But it is done face to face. Uh, I mean, the old expression that nobody ever signs a million dollar check over Zoom <laughs> is absolutely people yeah. do business in a room together. So the bridge, to be perfectly honest, has been very challenged during this time. We've worked particularly hard to keep together with our, uh, to keep our contacts going, to keep people informed about what's going on, etc. And what I have noticed is that now things are taking off like a rocket. So it's almost gone mm. <laughs> from from uh, a sort of an abyss to a, a, a heaven, uh, but an overload, if you like, of business as suddenly everybody comes back with a vengeance. And there's a really interesting thing that I personally am loving, which is the East-West connection. Uh, I mean, you only have to look at Squid Game to go, what? <laughs> there, was, there was such a time when I would knock on broadcasters' doors and say, look, Asia wants to work with us in here in the UK and Europe and the US. And my goodness, I had to knock, knock loudly and there weren't many that opened the door, to be perfectly honest. Now, uh, Asian content with all of its differences, with all of its new points of view, its new vision, its new creativity um, uh, is, is punching through so hard. I mean, obviously, Parasite uh, being one example, Mark, The Masked Singer being another example, that in fact, it's no longer an issue when we, when I, when the bridge begins to talk about Asian content and the flow of business, I think personally is set to just take off. Well, it, it feels like that right across the industry. And let's see, I mean, it's going to be really interesting when we get to Cannes. The people that are going to be there might be the ones that, you know, have got the opportunity to reap the benefits of physically being there as opposed to being on the uh, on the zoom but we'll see we'll we'll obviously see how that rolls but now in terms of actually at mipcom itself you're moderating a panel there tell us about that yes look i'm i'm moderating the investors brief um the investors panel which i've done now for several years running what's particularly interesting now to me is the models that are coming out post covid that are different. Let me tell you, first of all, who is on the panel. It's a smaller physical panel than usual. I've got Nikki Davis-Williams from DCD Rights. They are particularly clever in harnessing the international market uh, and in crossing the line between sort of traditional models and digital models. Once again, I've got Claudia Bloomhuber from Silver Reel Films. <laughs> oh my goodness, she's got some extraordinary stories filming in COVID remotely with a whole crew being fired in southern US with A-lister talent sitting there with the deadlines uh, sort of leaning over them. And Claudia is, uh, still looks as beautiful. She doesn't look like she's been through the trauma that she has been through. Uh, but my goodness, that has been incredibly tough. And so she, that sort of puts hairs on the back of your neck 
stories. The new models. Um, one of them is uh, 108 Media. Now, I have spoken previously with Justin Demon on the panel, and 108 has been based out of Toronto and Singapore for some time. But my goodness, what they are doing now in London in terms of their expansion into the global market is absolutely extraordinary. They are optioning uh, literary books, optioning IP at a rate of knots. They are scaling up at a rate that really uh, makes your eyes water. They have big heavyweights engaged with them, including Michael Jackson, who, of course, we all know from BBC as controller of BBC One, BBC Two, and involved with Channel Four. So they have heavyweights. They have scale, they have investment. Unfortunately, Abby Rastogi, who is the real powerhouse behind uh, 108 Media, who is the CEO, he's not joining me because, in fact, his wife is about to have a baby. But I have Jordan Nutson from Toronto uh, on the panel, the global scale with which they're upscaling is extraordinary and well worth hearing all about because that they, they will be somebody we all will be wanting. Yeah, they're interesting. I haven't heard of 108 Media before. They're shooting up. <laughs> and very much one to watch. And their scale uh, of development uh, is really quite extraordinary. So very much one to, to watch. Then there's another one to watch, which is I'm calling it the new kid on the block. New World Film Finance um, really just simply says what it does, you know, uh, says on the tin what it does. A whole new method of financing both film and TV based actually on proven models in the property and tech markets. And they, Rob McRae, will be on the uh, on my panel. Their model looks at how, in a way, it, it's been it's a false world because a lot of money that we know of, a lot of venture capital money, a lot of money has gone into tech. Now, tech is as risky, if not considerably more risky than the creative industries. We need that money. And uh, New World Film Finance is uh, working on a financial model that will be FDA, UFI compliant. It will all work through due, due diligence. Of course, that money will be coming from high net worth individuals, but then they will be appointing a panel uh, to sift through viable projects. The panel will have on it people people that we all know as leading creatives, they will sift through the content and allocate the money accordingly. But it will all be done with a very transparent financial investment model. So that's very new. It's And, and when I say they're the new kids on the block, they are so new. They are rushing to complete websites and business cards and that. The plan has very much been there for over a year. But this really will be their big unveiling, if you like, at MIPCOM this year. So they take away the smoke and mirrors image that in some ways has clouded, uh, well, we know that it's clouded a lot and has prevented a lot of investment going into TV uh, and film. And 
we know that the money is pouring into tech. Well, this will divert some of that into what will become a very transparent business finance arrangement. But that is going to be something that will be very useful, I think, to many people in the creative industries. Have they announced how much money they've got to invest? Uh, (laughs) It's over 150 million UK pounds here in the UK, but that's just the starter. And is it factual or scripted content that they're looking to invest in or both? Both. It very much will work around compliance. It'll work around risk mitigation. It'll work around a strong and proven structured model. It'll work around sales forecasts. But but what's unique is the work around sales forecasts, not directly attached to talent, but offering A plus level, A level, B plus, B minus. In other words, it almost breaks down creativity into what is a very, very proven model within the um, the property business, the property and tech business. So it's a whole new model. It's going to be incredibly useful, I think, for many companies as we move forward. Very interesting. Well, Robert McRae is somebody whose business card will be in high demand, I would imagine, on the Croissette. He will love that. And the biggest challenge I will have, this will make him smile, and will be he and I stopping talking. I only have nine minutes with each of these people. I could talk to each of my panellists for two hours. They are all fascinating. Well, it's going to be a bit like Dragon's Den, isn't it? You can have nine minutes, nine minutes to all the uh, content funders and distributors to pitch why you should work with them. But that's going to be an interesting way around. And so delegates, when they get there, they'll see the panel, but there's also a meet and greet, I believe, afterwards. So you can actually go along and uh, and meet these guys. In uh, that's absolutely great. I mean, in, in previous times, of course, uh, Read Me Dem have gone to a lot of trouble to try to connect the investors with uh, relevant projects. That, frankly, has all been too hard this time, largely, for reasons we all understand. But yes, they will hang around afterwards. They will have their business cards. Part of my job, it really, is to make sure that the right people approach the panellists. It's no good approaching Claudia <laughs> with a low-grade TV idea, <laughs> because that's just not how Silver Real works. They are top-end A-listers. So the, there's a range of right across the uh, right across the scale of investment. Um, yes, they will be around to hand out business cards afterwards. Well, maybe I'll be able to grab a quick word with them and uh, when we're down in Cannes and shed a bit more light on, uh, on what they discuss at the panel. Fantastic. So, and is this going to be available to watch digitally, the panel? Yes, yes, it is. It won't go out live, but, well, I don't think just it goes out live, uh, but it will be on Catch Up. Okay, excellent. And, uh, and for those that are making the trip down to Cannes, uh, tell us when and where that panel is. Listen, it's on Wednesday the 13th. It is at 10.30 in the Marguerite Room, uh, Riviera 8. None of us, we always have trouble, don't we, finding the Rivieras, but once you're there, of course, there's that much more air and space in that area, which is obviously why um, they are organising events there. Yeah, that's right. So 10.30 on the morning of the 13th in Marguerite. So please do join me. 
it, this is new and different, this stuff. This is post-COVID finance, and there are very few of us that don't need to know what is going on post-COVID finance with these new models. Amanda, I'll be there. Um, I'm sure lots of other people will be as well. So thanks again for joining us and giving us a little snapshot of the panel. And I will see you either in Riviera 8 or on the Croissettes. Yep, super, Justin, for a glass of rosé, one would hope. Yes, I think so. I think we can manage that. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us, Amanda. Amanda Groom there from The Bridge. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Justin. Well, that's about it for this week's MIPCOM preview show. Thanks for listening. I hope we've whetted your appetite for next week when we'll be in Cannes talking to TV's movers and shakers for our MIPCOM special show. If you're going to be in Cannes, why not come along to our drinks event at Brown Sugar behind the Grand Hotel on Sunday the 10th of October at 5pm. Just visit the Telecast LinkedIn page to put your name down on the list. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Telecast and share it with friends and colleagues. And you can also follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in London. Until next Thursday, we'll see some of you in Cannes. And as always, stay safe.